Dunker Punks. My name is Alyssa, and I'm excited to welcome you to the Dunker Punks podcast, where young radicals are leading the call to action for a world truly reflective of the peace, love, and justice of Christ. We welcome the wrestling and reflection on topics that are touching the lives of our neighbors, calling us into relationship with one another. Today, I have the pleasure of introducing my fellow Bridgewater College alums, Jesse Hauf and Chaplain Robbie Miller, who will offer us insight into the world of chaplaincy and remaining steadfast in periods of transitions. As you listen, I encourage you to reminisce on your time in college, school, or a point in your life that was pivotal in your development, and reflect on the way you were shaped and molded through your experiences with God. Hello, my name is Jessie Hauf. I use she, her pronouns. And today on the Dunker Punks podcast, I am interviewing Robbie Miller, Robert Miller, who is the chaplain at Bridgewater College in Bridgewater, Virginia. Robbie, would you like to introduce yourself? Well, hello, I'm Robbie Miller, uh, college chaplain at Bridgewater College. I've been working here as chaplain for this will be my 33rd year. And uh, grew up in Bridgewater, uh, and we'll probably get into some more of that. But uh, yeah, that's me. I'm married to Terry Gladwell Miller. We've been married now 42 years. We have two children. All of us went through Bridgewater College, as did my parents and my four older siblings. So I do believe crimson and gold. I uh, have one delightful grandchild now who's almost three. So enough about that. <laughs> That's wonderful. Wow. 33 years, you said? This is 33. Wow. That's incredible. Well, you and I have some family ties, not necessarily by blood, but you're, you and my dad were very good friends. And so our families have been friends for years. So I remember you visiting us when we were, when I was like a baby. So we've, we've been connected for a long time, which is wonderful. A long time. <laughs> Well, you, you mentioned um, a little bit but uh, about your being at Bridgewater for 33 years, which is incredible. Congratulations. That's wonderful. We'll get into more of, of how that's been for you, but I'd love to start with asking you, tell us about your upbringing and perhaps if you were brought up in the Church of the Brethren. I'm, I'm assuming you were considering your, your deep Bridgewater college roots, but can you tell us a little about your upbringing? Sure. Well, uh, I would say we were Sunday, I grew up Sunday Brethren, and by that I mean uh, we we attended the Bridgewater Church of the Brethren religiously on Sunday mornings, um, but we did not, neither my family nor the Bridgewater Church of the Brethren at that time was not well connected to the district or uh, the national church, and so I grew up thinking that the Church of the Brethren was the biggest church in the world because the Bridgewater Church of the Brethren had the biggest church building in town. Um, I didn't know much more about the Church of the Brethren than it was just our church, and that's where I went every Sunday. Uh, and of course, uh, when I got of age, I uh, went to Love Feast and did those kinds of things, but it really wasn't until high school that I became uh, more aware of the Brethren distinctions. Um, it's peace witness and some other things like that. Um, and it was really at that very formative time in my life that I that I think I personally made a choice to be brethren as opposed to 
simply being raised in that tradition. Amazing. Yeah, I can remember growing up and not really thinking anything about denominations of churches, but rather Church of the Brethren was just another church and everybody knows about us. (laughs) And I didn't really learn more about it until I was in my college years at Bridgewater and really found those values to be deeply rooted. And I didn't even realize, you know, as an adult, how important those values are. So that's, that's great to hear. Tell me about your, your, as you remember, maybe one of your first callings towards ministry. That's actually very clear, Jesse. Um, I think the church had, in its own way, been calling me for some period of time. I remember our pastor, when uh, growing up, Bob Scherfe, at some point, I think early high school years, maybe he, I remember after church, this is my memory, uh, he just kind of tapping me on the shoulder and saying something to the effect that he felt like I I, uh, had some gifts for ministry, which made quite an impression at the time. But when it all crystallized was when I was being a, co- a church usher, probably my junior, maybe year in high school. And the great thing about being ushering is that after you take up the offering, you can just hang out in the back and just ignore the rest of the service, right? Uh, so I had taken up the offering and I was walking to the back and Edgar Wilkerson was standing directly in front of me, blocking my path, right? And so uh, I stopped directly in front of Wilkie, and Wilkie was kind of an informal elder of the church, good family friend. And he looked me in the eye and he said, Rob, have you ever considered the ministry? And I don't know if I considered the ministry up until that point in time, but I've been considering it ever since. And really, that was kind of the crystallization, I think, of, of my call to ministry, which I think had been had been in process for some time prior to that, but it was really Wilkie's very direct question to me uh, at that point in time that I think uh, really began a more focused kind of uh, journey into ministry for me. Now we're we're talking about ministry, kind of generally speaking. But when when he asked you, and when you when you say brought me towards ministry, did you start as a pastor, like a traditional pastoral ministry? I did. From that point forward, I went to Bridgewater College, majored in philosophy and religion, graduated, went to Bethany Seminary, the Oakbrook campus, um, got my MDiv in four years. Uh, and then I, uh, my first and only full-time pastorate was the Oakton Church of the Brethren, where I got to know your parents, uh, Terry and Lisa Howell. Uh, and I served there for three years, just long enough to figure out that was not a good fit for me, not the specific church. It was a wonderful community, but rather uh, pastoral ministry was just not a good fit. And so um, I followed my wife, uh, actually went with my wife to Richmond, Virginia for her master's program at MCV. And while there, I built houses for two years. So yes, I became a carpenter. Um, and I, I, the second year I was there, I served the Richmond Mennonite Fellowship uh, part-time as their pastor. And uh, from there, we moved back to Harrisonburg, where I served uh, as campus pastor at Eastern Mennonite College for two years, and then was called over to serve at Bridgewater. So that's been my journey. So I've only actually served uh, a church full-time for those three years in Oakton. Wow, so you figured out pretty quickly that you, you needed something a little bit different. I did, and, and what made 
campus ministry kind of a natural fit. My after my second year at Bethany, I did a year's internship as interim campus minister at Genietta College in Huntington, Pennsylvania. Had a wonderful year there. And I thought, well, maybe at some point in time I'll get back to that. But I'd already set my sights on pastoral ministry ministry to church. And so followed through with that plan, which I'm, of course, glad I did. But, uh, yeah, as I said, it didn't take me long to figure out that um, pastoral ministry was not a good fit. And campus ministry has ended up being a much better fit for me, I think. That's amazing. How May I ask, how old were you when you went to Bridgewater? When I, Bridgewater or when you Yeah, when you started as the chaplain. Oh, here at Bridgewater? Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I was about 35. Okay. Yeah, 34, 35. Like that. Gotcha. I was just trying to think of the, the age difference between right. you and some of the students there. So that's that's pretty cool. So we've we've talked about you being the chaplain, but what, what does that mean? What do you do as the chaplain? Tell us a kind of day in the life of a yeah. chaplain at a college. Well, no two days are the same. Um, but I would say there are some themes that emerge almost every day. One is because I oversee the spiritual life program at the college. doesn't mean I do it all. It just simply means I oversee it. I'm always involved in some way or another in some aspect of the spiritual life program. Um, I advise our spiritual life board. Uh, we meet once a week to uh, create spiritual life activities for the campus community. And so um, I'm either working on something related to that group. I'm often doing some prep for uh, the seeker small group that I lead or an invitation for a program that I've been invited to uh, participate in or a message for our chapel service. So there's some preparation always going on. There's uh, working on various spiritual life programs. And the other thing that's a part of many days is reaching out to offer support to our students. Um, and that usually involves a cold call because most of the students I reach out to don't know me. And so what I've always said is while most students don't know what a chaplain is, they always appreciate somebody reaching out and caring about them. And I've never had a student in 33 years uh, hang up the phone on me because I think regardless of what they may or may not know about a chaplain, they do appreciate being cared about. And so I spend some time almost every day reaching out to a student who's been ill, a student who's lost a loved one, um, a student who is struggling with one thing or another. Uh, so that sometimes consumes a good bit of a day or a week. Um, other times, not as much. But those are the basic components of my, of my day and my work, uh, supporting students with whatever needs they may have. And... Um, trying to support the spiritual life of the campus community. That's great to hear. Thanks for sharing all of that. Sure. I would imagine that a lot of these duties you had when you started and they've continued to be something that you provide to this day. I imagine the job description is probably not that much different, or perhaps it is in some ways. But can you talk about what it was like being a chaplain at Bridgewater when you started versus today and how how it's kind of evolved and changed over time or stayed the same well yeah some things have changed some things have stayed the same I mean I think students you know as young adults 
haven't changed all that much in terms of their basic needs and desires and orientations. I think what has changed, of course, is technology, uh, which is, I think has had a profound effect on, on our student population uh, in a lot of ways. Um, I think when I first came, uh, there was a much stronger focus on centralized events, whether convocations, worship services, other events that we expected and encouraged students to come to, to participate in. Uh, whereas now students, um, in part because of the technology, in part because they have everything they need on their phone or in their room, uh, they don't come out to events the way they once did. And so I have, uh, in my work with the students, really focused more on going to where they are, be that the residence halls or the classroom. I've really tried to, uh, yeah, make it a much more outward facing kind of work rather than expecting students to come to me and to the services that I provide. Um, I focus now more on going to them. I think students have also changed in the sense that they are uh, like young adults nationally, less religious. I think they're every bit as spiritual as they've ever been, but I think students are generally less religious. We certainly have students who come who are very active in their religious life, uh, but mm, that has changed over the years. I think students um, have less uh, interest in and commitment to institutional kinds of authorities, uh, be it the church or uh, the government, whatever it might be. Uh, and they, I think they seek to meet their spiritual needs in other ways, uh, other than traditional religious kinds of services and activity. We certainly have some students who still seek that out. Uh, but I think increasingly students are experiencing and developing their spirituality in other ways. And part of the challenge of my work is to, is to figure out where I can meet, how I can meet them where they are, as opposed to sitting back and waiting for them to come to come to me, because that just doesn't happen in the way it wants to. Wow, that's so fascinating to hear. I remember going to Bridgewater, there was yeah, a lot of in-person events and technology was starting to infiltrate. I had a cell phone. It was not a smart cell phone. I even remember my freshman year, we had landlines in every room and there was like a survey that went out. And my dad was actually the IT person there at the time. We got an email from Terry Howell was like, do you use your phones? And very few people did. So that, and that was, that was 20, 2009. So yeah. I guess kind of a long time ago, but not that long, not that long ago. So that's interesting to hear how that's really changed. I imagine COVID's probably changed some of that as well, but yeah. to hear that, yeah, students are a little less, even to hear that they're less religious is interesting because I, I can identify with that certainly being being more of a spiritual person and seeking out spaces where the spirit is present, maybe not necessarily like a traditional church service. Do y'all still do... Um, Thursday morning, it used to be Thursday morning chapel series. Well, uh, we did until those uh, that Tuesday and Thursday morning open period got turned into classroom time. Mm. And we moved into the evening. And as soon as you move into the evening, of course, you're competing with everything else. And so yeah. uh, until this year, we did have a weekly chapel, which we called Engage, 
Uh, and this year we're trying something different because, you know, we're always trying to keep up with students. And so instead of a weekly chapel service, we're doing a uh, twice a month service that focuses more on just having fun and food with a kind of a worship element to it. Yeah. But it's uh, it's not going to it's going to be less of a traditional worship service than it's been in the past. So, you know, it's just one big experiment here. And we're uh, we're going to try that this year and see if it uh, sticks. If not, uh, we'll try something else. Yeah, well, that's great that the the college and that you and that others are noticing these changes and, and making changes to accommodate better because you're there for the students, right? And if the students Absolutely. aren't interested, then what's the point? So that's great to hear that there's kind of that evolution happening. I realize that evolution kind of can be a weird term, but I, I know that the Dunker Punks audience is a little bit more progressive in thinking. Yeah. So when I say evolve, you know, if there Don't is... Humans evolve. We we are different than we were, yes, you know, two hundred, a hundred, even five years ago. We're just in a different a different place. So, shifting gears a little bit more towards the the national church of the brethren, you've talked about um, evolution of your students and of of your time at Bridgewater Evolve. Can you talk a bit about how you viewed the Church of the Brethren? denomination and how that's kind of evolved over time? Well, we've certainly become, uh, not without some struggle, a more um, diverse and inclusive church. Not diverse and inclusive enough, but we're working on it. Uh, the Church of the Brethren that I grew up was um, very patriarchal, very white. I, at least that's the community I grew up in. Um, and it's heartening to see uh, that the church is slowly but surely, I think, uh, recognizing that the, the church universal is uh, a whole lot more than what the Church of the Brethren has been historically. Um, and so that, that to me is the biggest difference, although you might not know that in the Shenandoah Valley. Uh, with the exception of one or two churches, it's still a very uh, conservative, predominantly white, even agrarian church. Um, and uh, that has many uh, good things about it, uh, many good values. But uh, I think the, uh, the church, um, yeah, is, is slowly and with a lot of um, angst. Uh, becoming a more inclusive, um, open space for people. But as I said, not nearly enough. But I think we're at least moving in fits and starts in the right direction. That's great to hear. It, I, I agree in a lot of ways. And in thinking about Bridgewater, um, you know, it's a Church of the Brethren affiliated church, or I'm sorry, college, but I think when I was there, there was like 7% students that identified as Church of the Brethren. <laughs> and it's I imagine smaller. it is it smaller. Oh, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, the, the, the students that, and I know we're talking about kind of the greater church, but the, the students that you're serving are not necessarily Church of the Brethren. They may be some form of Christian, um, but not even necessarily. Um, and yeah, thinking about the greater church and it's, it's, still in a lot of ways 
patriarchal and, and white and, you know, in certain, it depends also on the district that you're in and kind of who's in charge. But yeah, there is this kind of feeling and sense of something's happening. Something's maybe changing. Um, I think and that's exciting for some of us and very threatening for others. Ooh, Talk more about that. Well, I think, and, and hence, you know, the, the conflicts that we see at annual conference and other places around the church, uh, I think that as the church does become more inclusive and progressive, that is, change is hard, and that's very threatening to folks who um, are very comfortable with the way things have always been. And I get that. Um, I can be threatened by change, too. Um, change is hard. But I think if the church is going to survive and thrive going forward, we're going to have to be willing to let some some old ways die um, so that some new ways can emerge. And death is hard. Uh, it's a struggle. And it doesn't, people don't let things go without a fight. And that's why we're seeing, I think, a lot of the division and the conflicts in the church we're seeing these days. Yeah, certainly. So we, we've, we've talked about kind of, I think you, you touched on these questions of, you know, what's, what's a part of the Church of the Brethren that's never really jived with you or something that you've never really liked. Is there any other kind of specific that you'd like to talk to about that? Well, I just think, Jesse, that, that it seems like we focus as a church more and more on what divides us rather than what, what can unite us. And... I understand that theology is important and the biblical interpretation important. Those pieces are all important, but I think sometimes they become um, the idol we worship rather than uh, focusing on the God we serve. And um, I just wish that we as a church could, you know, it's tried to say agree to disagree, but um, I think if we could really focus on the things that really unite us, continuing the work of Jesus, right? Peacefully, simply together, uh, rather than focusing on our uh, our differences with biblical interpretation and uh, and theology. We're never going to agree on much of this stuff. We just aren't. So if we could really then begin to focus on the things within our tradition that, that we do agree about, the things that unite us, um, I was going to say peace, but of course, that's a divisive issue too. But at least the service element, that's something I think we can all get on board with, right? Uh, but we don't, fo- we don't focus on that. We focus on what divides us. And so the thing that bothers me most about the church, I think, is, is this tendency to focus on what divides us. And uh, what most excites me is the possibility that we could all um, come together around some of the things that uh, that could truly unite us and do some real good in the world. Love that. What is one thing that you th- that if you could go back in time and tell young Robbie, whatever age you can choose, yeah, you you've been teleported back in time. You're face to face with the younger self. What would you tell yourself? I would tell myself not to be in such a hurry. Uh, when I was in seminary, I had this reputation, I think, of being always in a hurry, and uh, I may still have it. But one of my colleagues, one of my classmates in seminary gave me a poster. As I recall, it was a turtle, and the, and the poster said, I may always be running late, uh, 
but I'm always in a hurry or something to that effect. And yeah, I think um, one of the one of the blessings of the aging process <laughs> is giving yourself permission, uh, sometimes of necessity, but giving yourself permission to slow down a bit and just not be in such a hurry and to recognize that the deepest and most important things of life aren't typically the ones that um, you acquire by going faster and achieving more. And uh, so, yeah, if I could give myself one piece of advice, it would be uh, to slow down. Don't be in such a hurry. Yeah, that that's, I think, really good advice for, for anyone. I know that I sometimes have to reorient myself and reconfigure my brain to to that slowing down and there, there's such a fast-paced world so so that's really beautiful to hear now if you could tell a piece of advice perhaps to our audience today to whomever's listening and our audience is primarily young adults but to folks in this kind of dunker punk bubble or genre well realm as you could say what's what's a, a piece of advice you would tell the audience today or individuals in the audience yeah well it's it's i guess similar uh, to the other piece and that is keep it simple um focus on the essentials focus on the basics which is for me you know the great commandment love the lord your god however you understand that god Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. I think to me, that's what it all really comes down to. And if we could all just get on board with that and focus on that, rather than, again, all the stuff that distracts us and divides us, uh, I think we, we in the world would be better for it. And so, yeah, I would say keep it simple and focus on Focus on what Jesus focused on. Love the Lord with all you got. Love your neighbor as yourself. I feel like that's advice for individuals, but also for the church. You know, from from things you've said, it sounds like that there's that constant calling back to why are we here? What are we doing? Why do we continue to have... (laughs) hard conversations with with whomever, whether it's a a relative or someone on the opposite theological spectrum, but that calling back of like, Jesus, I know I've been asking and telling myself a lot in the last few years, like the, the famous 1990s quote that changed the world and the Christian realm of what would Jesus do? you know, sounds cliche and we all had those bracelets or necklaces, WWJD, but it's true. And what, always coming back to Jesus and it's the church of the brethren. That's what we're, we're called to do, right? Always coming well, back I, to I Jesus. I recently, Jesse, heard a, a nice iteration of that. Instead of what would Jesus do, what would Jesus have you do? I like that even better. What would Jesus yeah. have you do? Uh, because that puts the onus back on us, right? Jesus yeah. Is our model, Jesus is our, our Lord and Savior. However, one understands that, but uh, but yeah, Jesus is calling all of us to love God and love neighbor, 
And okay. again, if we could focus more on that and less on all the things that tear us apart, uh, we'd be a better church and a better world. Hmm. I'd love to also hear if I could jump a, a question on you that I didn't tell you earlier. Um, with your students in particular, you know, you, you've had lots of years of experience having, you know, people come in as freshmen, they do their whole career, they graduate as seniors. What's something that you found that you've told them over the years as they graduate? What's something that, like, whether you knew them or not, like, what's something that you tell your your students often that could be, that's something that you, like, your tried and true, like, advice or words of wisdom for them yeah i I don't know if i could boil it down to to just one thing jesse i i think if if there's one thing that has defined my ministry over the years it's this conviction that life is sacred all life is sacred not just human life but all life and I think increasingly I, that has been the focus for me and whether I'm preaching or teaching or just trying to model what I understand the, the Christian life to be, it really comes down to recognizing that we're all created in the divine image and we are all therefore deserving of uh, dignity and respect. And uh, I, I hope that people recognize that in me and in the work that I do. And I hope if I contributed anything, I hope that people who, who I've worked with and uh, mentored have come away with this, with a sense that yes, all life is sacred and our calling as human beings and as people of faith is to, is to honor that and nurture that and support that in the ways that we can. The chaplaincy at Bridgewater what kind, what, just for fun, what kinds of qualifications might one need in order to be interested in a position like this? What do you need in order to pursue that field? Well, it's been all, it's all been on the job training for me. I didn't take a class at Bethany on college chaplaincy. So I've just kind of figured it out as I've gone along. I think many seminaries and uh, divinity schools do now offer programs uh, in, uh, in campus ministry. In fact, my doctor of ministry was uh, was on a um, campus ministry track at Wesley Theological Seminary. I mean, a college chaplain is kind of a person, a generalist, I would say. Uh, you need to be competent in a lot of different areas, administration, preaching, pastoral care. It's, it's a little bit like pastoral ministry in that way. You got to have a love for this demographic, uh, young adults. That's the one thing that's kept me in this work all these years. I just love, I just love this population of college students. I never tire of them. I think they are amazing, and it's an amazing opportunity to be engaged in their lives at a very formative time in their lives. Yeah, I don't know what other qualities one would need to have, but uh, certainly an ability to relate to and engage with young adults. I mean, that's obviously the key thing there. Beautiful. Well, thank you for giving all that information and blessings on your semester as we're we're starting up. And thank you so much for, for carving out some time in your busy schedule to chat with me and to answer some questions. Absolutely, Jesse. It's been my pleasure.
Thanks, Robbie. when I was a student at Bridgewater as a sociology major and I was doing research on spirituality in young adults where I actually interviewed Robbie Miller about the topic. We discussed similar trends of decreasing interest in traditional institutional religion but a steadier increase in spirituality among these young people. What does this mean for us as dunker punks, as young leaders engaging in this changing world? What does it look like to continue ministry under the institutions that are not as beloved as years past? This is still something we are wrestling with across many intersections, not just age, but race, gender, sexuality, and so on. This idea is one of many that challenge us as young people in the church to really embody the transformative spirit of Christ. We look upon Matthew chapter 22, where Jesus was asked what the greatest commandment is, and he replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. These commandments need to be the foundation for which we ground our relationships with one another. We need to get back to the simplicity of focusing on these commandments and let the Spirit of God follow, especially in the current state of the Church of the Brethren. This will require a change in focus, and as Robbie mentioned, change is hard, but we need unity. Let this be the light that guides us through tough conversations and discernment as we are reminded of the radical love of Christ. There is profound power in the relationships we have with one another. We can create a space by building on relationships across aisles for the good of the whole body of Christ. Simply holding the light of love for our Creator and our siblings, we can be in harmony with all living things. I want us to end with a question Robbie posed and allow us to not sit but act out this question. When reflecting on this episode, what would Jesus have us do? Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Dunker Punks podcast. The Dunker Punks podcast is rooted in the simple yet powerful love of God that drives all good relations, even in the midst of struggle. This episode was hosted by yours truly, Alyssa Parker, using she, her pronouns. Audio was contributed by Jesse Hauf. Jesse is a multimedia artist currently living in Baltimore, Maryland. Jesse grew up with values rooted in family, travel, and spirituality. She received her Master of Fine Arts in Community Art and is the Community Arts Minister at the Washington City Church of the Brethren, Community Arts Coordinator and Adjunct Professor at Wesley Theological Seminary in D.C. She also loves spending time with her soon-to-be wife, traveling to tropical places, and walking their dog. Jacob Krause edited this episode and creates our music. Suzanne Lay manages production and communications. Beacon Heights Church of the Brethren, Arlington Church of the Brethren, and On Earth Peace sponsor the show. Do you want to become a part of the Dunker Punks family? We are trying to recruit 20 congregations to support Dunker Punks Pod. 
It is that time of year. You can ask your church board to include a $200 budget line for Dunker Punk's pod. Be a part of a movement that highlights young voices of faith, engages in difficult conversations, and mirrors the radical love of Christ through this podcast. Together, we can literally value what young people of faith have to say. Email us at dpp at arlingtoncob.org for more information. We are currently hiring for a communications intern position. Current and recent secondary education students are eligible for the part-time remote paid position sponsored by On Earth Peace. How often do we have the opportunity to work with a non-hierarchical project team of Dunker Punks living across the country to highlight new and important voices while getting paid? We need your voice. If you're interested, send us an email. You can also show your love for the podcast by engaging with our posts on social media. We are at Dunkerpunks Pod on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and Pinterest. Share, like, comment on posts to support the show or tag a friend to personally invite them to check out a favorite episode. You can even create show art inspired by episodes that moved you or share comments and memorable quotes of this episode and others. We love hearing from our listeners on what has left an impact. If you want to get even more involved, apply or recommend a young person to be an audio contributor to create your own episode. The perfect opportunity to use your voice. Email us at dpp at arlington.org if you are interested. We are currently recruiting interviewers for our seasoned ministers series. Until next time, Dunker Punks, peace and blessings.